0: Hi, and welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip, and we are continuing our conversations between Hadar's Beit Midrash in New York and our Beit Midrash in Jerusalem. So I'm joined today in conversation again with Rabbi Avital Hochstein, president of Hadar in Israel. Last Thursday was Thanksgiving, and I got to wake up to a a gift from you Vital, which was a recording that you and Rav Elazar had put together, um, which we shared in a previous episode. But I'm grateful now on November 30th to be
1: able to speak with you again. I want to share that we closed our microphones and I looked at out and I said, I haven't felt this kind of calm or relief in a very long time. And I think dwelling on what we're thankful for, just I felt made a big difference to my psyche. It was like very simple and very direct and very surprising. So there's a mutual thanks.
0: I appreciate that. I could hear it in the conversation, actually. I could hear a little bit of that piece in your voice and the energy of that episode. I was really grateful to receive that gift. I got to listen to it on Thursday afternoon of Thanksgiving. I'm glad our listeners get to listen to it also. We've been having these conversations weekly amidst this war, and one of the most painful things has been that week to week, what's changing? Everything feels the same, and we're so eager for change. And that has not been the case this past week. From last Thursday to this Thursday has been an entirely different week, an entirely different week from any that we have ever lived through with the ceasefire and the release of captives. And I am eager to hear from you what that experience has been like from where you're sitting um, more broadly. Curious to hear about both elements of that, how the, how the return of captives has impacted the country and also how the ceasefire has impacted the country, obviously from any emotional a technical standpoint, and then also maybe from the spiritual standpoint.
1: Maybe I'll start with a line from a poem that maybe we'll get back to again. Chava Pinchas Kohen, the wonderful poet who passed away not very long ago, maybe a year, a year and a half, has a poem called Nigun Ve'or, uh, a tune and light. And the second line in the poem is, Ve'nishbar ha'lev shenimtach, Ve'hitrachev le'ehov. And the heart the the broken heart that was stretched and expanded to love. And I think these descriptions speak to me because I feel almost wrung out, a mixture of a broken heart and an expanding heart, and mainly that it's stretched, stretched to its limit. Yeah. And there's something about this week that has been very optimistic, but also very taxing emotionally. First of all, I, I, I'll describe to you the pace. Okay. The first um, release was Friday night. Shabbat came in at four o'clock and at four o'clock, the process was supposed to start. Yeah, I went to shul and it was pretty empty. And I looked at it as Zahar and I said, no one is going to turn off their radio, TV, whatever it is before 4.36. They're going to wait till the last minute. So there was this tremendous tension and expectation and anticipation everywhere. And then rumors throughout the Shabbat of what did and didn't happen among the people who don't listen um to the radio. And people did turn off the TV and the radio? We had a beautiful tfila. There was a wave that came later than usual. I imagine some people did turn off and some people didn't, depending on their emotional ability yeah. to stand the suspense. And then came Wutse Shabbat Saturday night and We all wanted to see what this looks like. And there's many, many steps. First, maybe you've all seen it on TV. Soldiers have two sets of uniforms. Their Madei Alif, which is the more formal uniform, and their Madei Bet, which is what they do work in.
0: Hmm.
1: And somebody explained to me that the, the Hamas people we see who are bringing the hostages are wearing their Madei Alif their formal uniform. So that green thing that covers their eyes or or their forehead, it's all, that's the formal garb. So you see them taking the hostages out of a van and going to the Red Cross and then from the Red Cross to the Egyptian side of Rafiach and then to the Israeli side of Rafiach and then being taken to the hospital and then meeting their family. Now Israel is giving them tremendous privacy. So we only get the pictures very, very late, but we get on the Israeli TV, the pictures from the Palestinian videos. Uh So we see the move that way. And that is echoed with Dover Tzahel, the army spokesman describing only when things have actually taken place, what's going on. And Mutzay Shabbat, there was some issue. And so, you know, Shabbat came out, I don't know, 530. This was supposed to start at 4.00. But there was a problem there. There was some argument over the lists. And so I think we were probably all up till 1 a.m. It was just tremendously difficult emotionally. And I think the other layer is all the people who are not being let out. The people in my local community here, the Goldberg Poland family, they have a son who is a young man, 23, and he's at the bottom of the list. Right of when people will be freed. And all that is is very, very, very difficult. And I think we've spoken, I think, about it. I have both learned and taught that part of being created in the image of God, being a Selem Elohim, is equality. And what does that mean, that women and children are being freed?
0: Mm-hmm. Meaning especially from... Your seat in an egalitarian yeshiva?
1: In in an egalitarian yeshiva, in the world I aspire to be a part of, in in the Torah I believe in, in in any dimension, in any dimension, a lot of the conversation just isn't my values, isn't the world I want to live in, right? From kidnapping people to the fact that people have a value and not infinitely valuable, to the fact that you use people like pawns trading people. And my son said to me, fine, you guys, you only get 70% salary, but you get freed out of prison at when you're kidnapped. In other words, he was quoting the statistics of salaries of men versus women. And okay. What's so painful about that is it's a joke
0: and it's not a joke at all. It's a real fear.
1: Tremendously painful. And also it's a complaint about you've told me this certain order in the world. And where is that order? I think that's also part of it. And of course, it's the chaos of war, but it's also the chaos of values that war brings. I'll say two more things on the topic of gender. My daughter's response was, but there's no women making those decisions, right? In other words, the decision of who should be freed is made probably both sides, primarily by men, if not only by men,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: which is also depressing. And that's the next layer. Today they said that men aren't being freed because men are more valuable. You're not gonna free three Palestinian youngsters from Israeli jail. Right. That's not enough to give back men. So it's just not the way I wanna think about people. Yeah. It's not it's not how I believe people should be thought about or talked about.
0: Is there any feeling of relief or happiness that is coming with this last week? Right.
1: So I think there is definitely relief. Um, I suddenly realized the step, how big the step down of the number of hostages is, that that step was big. That's important. But I'll go back to the fundamentals. If every person is infinitely valuable, everyone needs to come back home. It, there's. It doesn't really in an essential way, the 100, 200, 250, there's no real essential difference in the sense of the lack of relief.
0: Mm -hmm. People are obviously reflecting on the tefillah matir asurim, like freeing the imprisoned. And I keep thinking... Mechaye Hametim, resurrection of the dead. It's almost like resurrection of the dead. Like I keep thinking actually, it doesn't feel like these people were in prison. It's like we had no idea if they would be alive. Um, I don't know. There's something that is it's almost hard to comprehend to say these these children could be back in the arms of family, you know, and what they've lived through. And I don't know, I don't know.
1: Right. It's interesting, right? There's a um, there's a halakha to say that, bracha, when you haven't seen a person in a very long time. Right. In a world where there's no telephone, internet, FaceTime, right, you, you can understand why. And that's kind of what you're describing. And of course, it's there's another layer of it because there's an actual fear of death because they were in the hands of people who don't care about their lives.
0: Right. And in some cases, we didn't know whether these individuals were alive or dead.
1: It's interesting that you're taking us to Birkot Hashachar, to the brachot, the, the, the blessings that we say in the morning, because so many of them here are fitting, right? There's one which is Pekiah Ivrim that that opens the eyes of the blind. These people, many of them, were underground in tunnels all, all this time, okay? Or Notel la even avrin ben yomu that gives the rooster the wisdom to differentiate between day and night they were without windows without sunlight for, for for all this time so many of the basic things that we take for granted that happen in the morning and that we bless for
0: right or that we strive not to take for granted
1: yeah a lot of a lot of things about war turn it gets turned upside down and i'm curious about the other side
0: especially your connection with you know obviously your son as a soldier but other soldiers the experience of the ceasefire
1: We've come out of a almost a year of being quite critical and opinionated about our government, many of us here in Israel, probably from many sides of the political spectrum. This is one moment where I do not envy the decision makers, and it's not clear to me what the right thing to do is. So first of all, I think part of my frustration is that we shouldn't be in this situation to begin with, okay? Why are we in a situation where we have to choose between hostages, between people? That is just, it's terrible. But I think the other layer is that part of the price is that everything becomes confused on the values front. It's not like this thinking which differentiates between people will remain on the hostages. My fear is that it spills over. Mm-hmm. and. So the repair is going to be tremendous, and it's on the Torah front, and on the values front, and on the day-to-day front. My intuition would probably be, get out whoever you can get out. And if this is the way to start doing it, then this is the way to start doing it. But but it puts me in a conversation, which is terrible to have. Me and my children and our institutions and our soldiers and everyone. Yeah. I
0: feel like I've heard you say many times now, articulate different versions of this question, can we bring our values with us into a war? How can we? When must we? Um, and also articulating this second half, which is, can we emerge from the other side with our values still intact? If we pause values <laughs> In order to make it through a war, how do we emerge on the other side? Do those values emerge unscathed? How far back are we set on so many different areas?
1: You're right. And there is a piece of Torah which I've been finding useful in the sense of the questions and categories that it gives me for thinking about war. And I'll give an example, and it relates to the issue of values. By asking the question of who should go out to war, and I think when we say who should go out to war, it's a values choice. Mm-hmm. The verse here is the verse from Shmot seventeen, which describes the war with Amalek, and the language Amalek has been a lot in Israel, and we can discuss it in a different podcast. Maybe we won't touch on that today, but yeah, the verse that I've been thinking about is the verse in which Moshe commands Yehoshua to go out to war. Bchar lanu anashim, choose for us people. V'yomer Moshe el Yehoshua, right Moshe says to Joshua, bchar lanu anashim, choose for us people, V'tzehi go out and fight, do war with Amalek. Machar, tomorrow, anochi nitzav al i will go to the top of the mountain. And the staff of God is in my hand. Now, the staff of God is a code word for, I want some some divine intervention. I want mm-hmm. divine intervention. But what interests me is, first of all, to notice that Moshe, who is not going to war, says to Yoshua, you're picking these people for all of us. There's immediately a recognition that even those people who aren't going to war, even the, the people who are staying behind, and definitely the leadership, recognize that it's their people going to war, that, that the war is for all of us. And the Midrash asks, what's the content of the choice? Who, who, who is Yoshua choosing? And there's, of course, a dispute. Rabbi אומר, Pchar Anashim says, Okay, Rabbi Yeshua says, choose heroes. And it's interesting that it's Rabbi Yeshua who's giving Yehoshua the giborim, right? The heroes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Rabbi Elazar Muda'i says, mm-hmm. people who are, well, literally it translates to fears of sin. Maybe it means fears of God. I don't know. We can try and think what it means to be to fear sin. But it feels like a very different personality type. And I find it interesting to think how the different personality types are going out to war. And this Midrash, I didn't say, it's from the Mechilta, which is a relatively early Midrash Halacha, from the period of the Mishnah, a relatively early commentary on the Torah. has Two very, very different visions of
0: who maybe went out to war. Not only that, setting it up as a machloket, setting it up as two different opinions sort of makes it such that you can't define Gibrim heroes as furors of sin. You have to, there must be a difference. Otherwise, it would say they both agree.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a question of what energies we want there and what energies we have there. Let me read one more piece of the midrash and then we can try and bring it maybe to to what's happening here. The continuation of the midrash focuses on the next set of words in the in the pasuk in the verse be'amalek. Rabbi Omer amar lo Moshe so Rabbi Yoshua again says this is what Moses said to Joshua. Se mitachat ha'anan vehilachem be'amalek. come out from under the cloud and go do this war. Now, what is this cloud? Well, Anana Kavod, right? There's the clouds of the divine who are accompanying Israel. So basically, Moshe is saying to Yoshua, you have to leave the camp. You have to leave the protective shield
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and go out to do war. And I, I have to admit that it made me think of all the places from which the soldiers around me were going out. Okay? New marriages, new children, new jobs, expectation for uh, a new university year, expectation that your mandatory army service will be finished. I I have a cousin who was supposed to finish in November, and he's just continuing. He's not being released. And uh, we've spoken before, I think, of the gentlemen who are there at war, and, and I and I hear them here in the Midrash also, what what room they have there and what kind of war they're battling. Maybe I'll I'll say one more thing. So in the book of Dvarim, there's a description of who goes out to war. And I will leave aside now the question of whether this is milchemet mitzvah, a mandatory war, or a milchemet reshut, a war a people chooses, but there's a description. And the people who do not go to war are those who have betrothed but not yet married. Those who have built a new home but not yet lived in it. Those who have planted a vineyard but not yet cut it for the first time. Now, who are those people? Those are the young people. According to Dvarim, it's not the young people who go to war. It's actually the middle-aged people who go to war. The ones who lived some life. And I have been asking myself about that's the, the social choice, the value choice that we are making here now. And we've made in this country from day one, and maybe it's true about the Western world in general, where we send young people out to war. And what does that mean, and why the Torah chooses different? And what kind of different characteristic is there to the war when the Giborim, the heroes go, where the go, where the fearers of sin go, or where The older people go versus the younger people. And maybe it's actually the fact that hostages have been released and we've had a ceasefire since Friday that enables more calmly to ponder those questions. I'm so impressed by your ability
0: to imagine things so differently from how they are. I think so many of us are moving through the world right now looking at that situation, feeling like, well, what can we do? There's no no choices to be made. What we have to do is clear. And your ability to look at the situation and say, look, even if if something must happen, if a war must be waged, does it have to be done this way? Do these have to be the soldiers? Even in a system where it's been so long the case, it's such a given in Israeli society right now that young people are soldiers and soldiers are young people. Um, and I would say the same about about gender. And I know that is starting to change. Um, you know, I, this is... It, it's my understanding that this is the first time so many women have been called up in reserve duty. That didn't used to be the case. You know, sort of hearkening back to the conversation we were having earlier just about being able to look at a situation. Uh, you know, oh, the women and children are being released. Is that how it should be? That kind of creative thinking actually is shut down for a lot of people in this time of war um, that we aren't even aren't even able to ask those questions. Um, and so... I would say the combination of your close reading and also of having these texts that push in that direction or that give us the ability or the mandate to ask those questions are really crucial right now, I feel like, in in allowing us to to think differently, right? If only thing we consume is news of what's actually happening, we'll never be able to imagine any alternative worlds.
1: I want to say two things that enable me to do that. Number one is to walk. I feel like when I think about my realities through Torah, I encounter, first of all, just basic human wisdom, which is surprising because it's a very, very old text, but I feel that it's there and that it's relevant to me. And number two, maybe it connects to something that you pointed out before, which is that by this is a text that is full of dispute, which means there's always another option mm-hmm. and another option I have to contend with. And I think... It's an invitation to think of reality that way also, that there's another option. And I guess I'll add to that my belief. I I think it's my role to insist that it can be different. It's also my role to be a part of building that difference. But I think step number one is to just not accept that there's only one possible reality, especially when it's bad. Yeah.
0: And that's... So life-giving, it certainly helps.
1: I want to end with two pieces of the poem that I started with, a poem by Chava Pinchas Cohen called Nigun Ve'oro, A Tune and Light. She describes in the middle of the poem a youth, a young man, and she describes him like this. Naar levush milchama, enav, nibat meshorer o machazai. A youth dressed in war from the slits of his eyes, shines out a poet or a screenwriter. And she plays with the way the lines are broken. But it's a lot how I feel about, I guess, some of the people I see going out to war now. What do they have shining through the slits of their eyes? And of course, it's a game here because it's a a play on ideas because the slit is also through what you look in order to shoot. Mm -hmm. But their soul is is reflected through the slits of their eyes right? Are they poets? Are they playwrights? Right. Um, there's creativity there, but they're dressed in war. And what are they using with the slits of their eyes? What are they doing with them? And I, I feel that holds a lot of the questions I'm asking about who goes out to war and the diversity of the people I know who are in there. Yeah.
0: Seeing the humanity represented by the softness, the gentleness that you always refer to, represented by the creativity but in, in each person and in each soldier changes what it is to look at a war.
1: And I'll end just with the last lines of the poem, which are in conversation with the line we say in Yamim Nora'im and that we've continued to say because of the war, Avinu malkenu ase Manu, and this is how the poem ends. My father, my king, find the gap between charity and love and kindness, and give in it place for rest, give wings of a crane to tears.
0: To close us out, maybe you'll read the whole poem for us in Hebrew.
1: Nigun ve'or. Chava Pinchas <laughs> Koyne. Zot ha'eretz shechavru ba'or ve'nigun uveka u'maim. Benishbar lev she nimetach ve'yitrachev Na le vush nav, nibat meshore chesed, ten Thank you
0: to Effie Unterman for producing this episode and to David Chabinsky for recording and editing this episode.